The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we're striving each and every week to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today, we have something for those folks that I talk to from time to time who um, just don't don't like don't like ugly houses just like like you know sometimes I, I i describe to people what i what i do or i talk about a deal i saw that day and you know i say oh i'm still i'm still trying to get the cat pee smell out of my clothes because the house was so horribly filthy and nasty and i was stepping over dead raccoons and wiping cobwebs out of my hair and i i watch the looks on their faces and they just look completely crestfallen because that is just not their cup of tea. Well, you know, there's a whole there's a whole extra strategy out there that a lot of a lot of folks don't don't know about because it's not something that uh gets talked about a lot in real estate associations and seminars and that is the strategy of flipping properties but instead of the super ugly ones that wholesalers and retailers work with flipping pretty properties that don't need work and smell good and there's no animals inside of them that aren't supposed to be inside of them and one of the top experts on that topic in the whole country is joe mccall who actually started out doing the ugly houses like a lot of us did and quickly decided that 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 just wasn't really something he was into because of the competition and also the kinds of properties that one ends up looking at, but also because he found that it was more profitable and easier to flip pretty houses. Now, Joe is one of the 15 expert presenters at the upcoming National Real Estate Strategy Summit here in Cincinnati on November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. You heard a lot more about that last week, and there's still some information up about it at wmkvfm.org if you haven't gotten yourself registered. So he and I are going to have a uh, a kind of a freewheeling conversation today that uh, is not going to reflect how how organized he is about talking about this when you see him live on November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. He's joining us by phone from his home near St. Louis. Joe, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, Vina. How are you? Uh, I'm good, Joe. You You are in St. Louis, not in Prague or something, right? That's right. <laughs> I am in St. Louis. I wish I was in Prague sometimes. You know, we've been there a lot. We love Prague. 
Um, but you know, it's funny back to you, what you were just saying. Uh, I have had a pretty, I love pretty houses, but I have had a pretty house before with a dead animal in them. So, oh, oh, so there's just no escaping no them. That's like my, my least favorite thing in the world is to like go into a basement and see that some bird got oh, trapped down gosh. there and died. I hate that. Like, it's like uh. I, I scream like a girl and run away when that happens. But, um, the, uh, the uh, pretty the pretty house business is something that you and I have actually talked about on the show before, yeah. and uh, in fact, I want to um, encourage listeners who who may not even be aware that WMKV um, podcasts this program to go check out those interviews at realliferealestate.com. That's realliferealestate.com. Just look up Joe McCall. He's been on a couple of different times talking about. Uh, everything from the pretty house business to systemization, automation, things like that. So there's 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 more research you can do. But Joe, what what I want to talk about today is what's happening in the pretty house business uh, as the market changes. Yeah. As it's as it's. I mean, because because the first time you and I talked, the market was terrible. It was uh-huh. like it was like in, it was like in 2010 yeah. or 2011. And you just sort of had your pickings of people who had houses that they were underwater on, but they needed to give up. And, you know, now that that sort of house tends to be a pretty popular thing to, you know, you put it on the market and it sells. So I'm wondering from from that perspective, how things are going um, as as we're starting to hear markets are cooling. Yeah. What your what your plans are. Uh, in your pretty house business, uh, and uh, just you know, just sort of update folks on what's going on, and then when they, if they want to, like really learn how to do it, they can come to the summit on November first, yeah. second, third, and fourth. So, okay, let's let let's start with this, Joe. Yeah. What do you do exactly? Like, like when, we say, yeah. when we talk about the pretty house business, what what is the strategy with those? I love lease options, and a lease option is simply a lease where you lease a property with an option to buy it in the future. Very simple, very little risk, and it works really well with pretty houses. And I think it was Rockefeller that said the secret to wealth is to own nothing and control everything. And a lot of people got in trouble. That was one of them back in 08. By, uh, I, I owned too many properties. I, I had too much debt. And um, lease options allow you to control real estate really valuable pieces of real estate without actually even owning them. So you get the same benefits, but you don't have to go out and get a mortgage, you get a loan, you don't have to use your own cash to buy the house. And it's a great way to do deals on properties that don't have much equity or um, you can't maybe buy at 60, 70 cents on the dollar, but you can lease it with an option to buy it in the future and hold it as an investment property. Um, and then once you do that, there's different things you can do with it. But, you know, for me, I got started doing lease options in 2008 and 2009 when the market was free-falling and everybody was running to the hills, and I was doing really well. I actually quit my job in 2009. Uh, My employers and friends thought I was crazy. But um, I was doing really, really well, doing a lot of lease option deals. And the market has come around. It's going. It was going back up. It's starting to level off right now, and it's starting to slow down, actually, in a lot of markets. For me, it's always worked. It works in any market. You could say maybe, yeah, it works better in a down market because there's more motivated sellers that are willing to do a lease option. But 
when when you come to understand that we're really not in the real estate business, we're in the marketing business, that you can do marketing and enough of it, and you will find motivated sellers. There's always going to be motivated sellers in any market, whether it's going up or down or sideways. That for one reason or another, job loss, job divorce, job transfer, a tired landlord, they just don't want this other property anymore, and they're tired of making two two mortgage payments. Maybe they can't make two mortgage payments anymore. And a lease option is a great alternative for them. And uh, so I've done lease options in hot markets and cold markets. And I think I'm excited about the, the – the, <laughs> this sounds kind of narcissistic maybe. I'm excited about the market finally slowing down and going in the other direction finally mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it just means there's going to be more deals coming down the pipeline. And I think, Vina, it's really, really, really important, especially as we're coming – in the next couple, three years ahead. It's really important investors understand creative real estate, you know, whether you're doing owner financing or lease options and stuff like that. They really need, people need to understand how to do, how to make creative offers um, if they're going to succeed in the, in the future. Yeah, and that's true. That's true in all, you know, recessionary markets in all, which is what, probably what we're headed into, not a not an actual real estate crash, but one of those right. 18 to 24 month recessions that we have every so often, thanks to factors outside of the real estate business. Um, yeah. That that was how I got started in real estate in 89, which was actually at the end of a market cycle. Didn't realize it because I jumped in at the end. <laughs> I didn't see what yeah. I didn't see what was leading up to that. So I thought that that was how the market was. That everybody yeah. did creative finance. That everyone was going to accept your creative offer because that was how that was the only way they could sell their house. And yeah. then yeah. it became really important again in 2008 after after years of banks being so friendly with the financing that people didn't feel the need to learn it. I mean, it's a real yeah. struggle. To, it was a real struggle to get people to understand there for a while that lease options, land contracts, underheld mortgages, subject tos, things like that were viable. Or, or important uh-huh. strategies, and then all of a sudden, everybody understood how important it was. <laughs> yeah. So, so I agree. It's you know, there's 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 tools that we kind of leave in our tool bag during really hot markets, and we pull mm-hmm. out other ones. And then when the market slows down, we go back and we go, hey, where were those tools that were working in 2011? Because it feels like 2011 again. And uh, have you heard of that book, Vina? Who moved my cheese? Yes. <laughs> It's a great book. Yes. It's all about, you know, looking at the market, studying the market. And the great thing about real estate, Nina, is that it doesn't change on a dime like the stock market does, you know? One day you're down 10% or whatever. With real estate, it's much slower and it moves in bigger, you know, even when the it, it did really crash hard in 09, you know, when Lehman Brothers went out of business or whatever. You could still, for the year prior to that, see the writing on the wall and you knew what was going on. And so the great thing about real estate is it moves slowly and you can, uh, you have plenty of warning mm-hmm. to get ready for it. You know what I'm saying? And it's interesting that the, the writing was days on market yep. extended and yeah. pr- prices started to drop. And that, that happened a solid year yeah. before, before anybody like really says the market crashed here and that's yeah. what we're starting to see a little bit of now. In, in... Oh, and you know what, Nina? Oh, <laughs> I wish I would have kept the articles that I saw during that time from certain organizations that are in the real estate industry 
that were saying, it's not a big deal. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Nothing bad's going to happen. Real estate always goes up. And I think you know the organizations I'm talking about, uh-huh. the main one. And uh, they were saying, you know, don't don't be alarmed. This is just a normal correction. And uh, they were doing everything they can to paint, uh, put makeup on a pig. And um, it was really – and I saw an article one time in the Wall Street Journal going back and documenting the things that this organization was saying. And – it was really quite embarrassing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, we need to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, what, what, what is actually happening in your business. Like now that, now that the market has yeah. gotten super hot and it's starting to cool off. Uh, we will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. I'm talking today to Joe McCall about what's happening in the pretty property business. And if you're wondering why you haven't heard me give away phone numbers and emails, it's because we're pre-recording this program. I'm taking a, I'm taking a page from Joe's book, and uh, I'm in Germany right now. For twelve days. Are you really? Yes. I, I thought you were going there uh, next week. But well, I am, right but now. that's when they're going to hear this. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one of one of the one of the things Joe's business and, and particularly uh, his automation and his team and his VAs have allowed him to do is travel not just for like a few days at a time, but like I know sometimes Joe, you're gone for a month. And it's, three. it's not that you're not three months, three months. And it's, it's not yeah. that you're not, it's not that you've retired for three months. It's that you're managing yeah. your business via phone, text, Voxer, yeah. all that sort of stuff, which is another thing I know that you're going to share at the, at the summit that's coming up, but not, not really our topic today. So uh, yeah. one more thing before we uh, jump into some of the, the questions here, because I did, I did put out a call for questions knowing that we were going to pre-record this. I said, Hey, yeah. if anybody's got any questions, and I do have several here sitting in my inbox that we need to get to before the end of the program. Um, all all real estate deals, whether they're flips or investments, and, and what you do is kind of a hybrid in a way, um, all of them work on spreads. And it's different. It's different. Yeah, what, kind of what defines a strategy is what's the spread. You know, in a, in a retail deal, yeah. it's what's the difference between what I can buy it and fix it for. Yeah. And then what I can sell it for less all the expenses of selling and financing it. In in the lease option business, can you talk a little bit about what the spreads are? Because I mean, you, you you described what a lease option is, and and you know the sorts of properties you do it on. But like, how do you make money? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's three profit centers in a lease option deal, and I like to I call it cash now, cash flow, and cash later. The cash now, the profit up front that you make is early profit from the option deposit money that the tenant buyer puts down up front. Usually that's three to five percent. So on a two hundred thousand dollar house that's six grand. That is an option deposit money that gets applied towards their future down payment if and when they buy the house. But that money that it goes to you. It doesn't have to sit in an escrow account. You can hold on to that. I suggest you put it in the savings account for emergencies and unknowns in the future. But that's money that that's a profit center right there mm-hmm. um the second is cash flow so if you are paying the seller a thousand a month but you can rent it for 1400 a month 
well, you're making about $400 in cash flow on that deal. And that's, that, that adds up. That's what, $4,800 a year. Over three years, that's almost $15,000 in cash flow. And then there's the big back end, cash later. And that's the difference between what you negotiate up front. The, the, I call it the A to B and the B to C. So B, I'm the investors. The A to B is the price that I negotiate to buy it from the seller on. That's my A to B option price. And then the B to C is the option price that I'm selling that property to my tenant buyer for. So the difference between those two numbers is my back-end profit, and that should be anywhere from thirty to $40,000 on the minute, at a minimum on these deals because we're only dealing with nice homes, right? So mm-hmm. I typically, when I'm doing a lease option and I'm going to stay in the middle, I try to get in it at at least 10% equity, which if you look at the numbers, it's about what a seller would walk away with if they were to sell the house with a realtor all the expenses and costs that go involved with, involved with selling with a realtor, they're going to be walking away with 13 to 15% less than the original list price. So that that's the spread that you try to get in a lease option, a typical lease option deal. Sometimes if there is no back-end equity, there's not enough equity in the house or there's not enough cash flow, I'll just get it under contract and flip the contract or sell the contract to a tenant buyer and I'll be out of the deal, and I, that's called a lease option assignment or a wholesaling lease option. Um, so it just kind of depends on, you know, what you're, what you're, what the, the, it depends on the seller's situation and what mm-hmm. you're trying to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that's uh, you know that's one of the things that always sort of boggles people's minds about the creative deals when when they're used to the straight up cash, right? When they're used to. I bought it for fifty. I put twenty in it, and I sold it for a hundred. That's yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. You, you know to buy it for fifty <laughs> if it needs yeah. twenty, and you can sell it for a hundred. But the creative deals, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes I bet you do one that has no cash flow at all yeah. because you can get a giant upfront fee and it's got lots of equity. Mm-hmm. And I bet you've done yeah. some that had no equity because they had six hundred dollars a month in positive cash flow. Yeah, that's the great thing about creative financing like lease options is you have more options normally a normal investor when they get a lead that doesn't have any equity or doesn't have cash flow they just throw it away but if you understand lease options you can actually do something with that and if it has equity but no cash flow that still might be a good deal you want to stay in the middle of if it has no equity but lots of cash flow that may be another deal you want to stay in the middle of now if it has neither if it has no cash flow or no equity you can still do something with that by doing a lease option assignment. Um, so it just depends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, in 2009, it was probably super easy to find people who were very anxious to get rid of a payment <laughs> that they, uh-huh. that they, couldn't make any more, didn't want to make any more. And it was just, it was just hard to sell a house in 2009. So along comes Joe and says, you know what? Um, I won't buy, buy your house, but I'll option your house for the next 10 years at, at, at your asking price. And in the meantime, yeah. I'll make sure your payment gets covered. But it was probably harder to find people to move into that house who had bunches of money to put up front and also had a snowflake chance of qualifying to to buy the house since one of the big problems in the market at the time was no financing. 
Uh-huh. Now I'm suspecting that it's kind of the other way around, that there's lots of people who would love to take you up on that deal, but there are fewer people who who, who say, I'm not even going to try it on the market. You take it over right now. Yeah. Well, here's the funny thing, Vina, and I know you've seen this with people that you've consulted with. Um, I had I had two clients in the same city call me at different on, on, a, on a one or two different days apart. One of them said, I got tons of sellers, Joe, but I can't find any buyers. And the other guy, a day later, calls me and says, Joe, I've got tons of buyers. I can't find any sellers. It doesn't work. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So which is it? And um, it's so there's always going to be motivated sellers that can't sell their house but want to. Like I said before, there's just circumstances outside of their control. Um, so you got to find them and you, you find them by doing a lot of marketing and, you know, um, the foreclosures or short sales are going up foreclosures, pre foreclosures, you know, notice of defaults. They're starting to see those rise. Well, if the, and here's another thing, Zena, this is really important. You go to Redfin, for example, and look in any market, Just pick a hot market like Nashville, Denver, uh, San Diego, and you can go in there and you can say, all right, show me all of the homes that have been on the market over 90 days and it'll show you and you'll be shocked every market has hundreds of those properties the other thing you can do is you go in and look and say all right show me all the expired listings in this market and you'll be surprised there's still houses that are expiring um and even though the market is hot and you hear this all you need to do is stick a sign in the yard you get multiple offers above asking price what are you talking about and when you look at it and it's getting worse now you go into Redfin, look up old houses, I mean, houses that have been on the market over 60 days, over 90 days, and you'll see a lot of them. It's surprising. And when I show this to people, they're constantly they're like, wow, I don't know. Now, okay, now maybe today there are 300 homes in a certain market that are over, that have been over 90 days. And, and back in 09, that number was double that, but that's still a lot. And there's still a lot of people. In fact, I was just looking at a report from CoreLogic, um, who has you know RealQuest and ListSource, and uh, they they did a report of how many homeowners are still have little to no equity, and or are have negative equity, so little to negative equity, and it's still um, 13 to 15 percent, depending on the city, of homeowners have little to no equity and are even upside down still today. So there's still there's still motivated sellers out there, and um, you know, you see this a lot even in military towns where somebody bought a house a year, two years earlier, and now that they're being transferred and they're moving, they got transferred to another base, and they have zero equity in their house because they got a VA financing and they got FHA financing and only put down 3% or something. And uh, the house prices haven't appreciated that much. I bought a house in 06 at the height of the market. No, no, I'm sorry, 04, 05. I bought it for two hundred and five thousand. Guess what it's worth today? You know, two hundred and twenty. It's only appreciated fifteen thousand dollars over the last what is that now? Fourteen years. Mm-hmm. Depressing. <laughs> now I have a lot more equity in it because I've been paying down the principal on that thing. But um, there are still sellers out there that are struggling to make two mortgage payments, and uh, you got to find them. And it takes work. You know, it used to be in 04. I mean, I'm sorry, in 
2010, you know, I, it was they were really easy to find. It was like uh, stealing candy from a baby, whatever that means. <laughs> but but now, you know, you have to be a little more tricky about it. <laughs> Do a little more marketing, but it's still there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as the market slows, what are you doing about changing your criteria? Because the, 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 the fear that I think people have in a slowing market that keeps them from getting from 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 being in it, which is a mistake. You need to be in the market as it slows. But always, yeah. Uh, I think the thing that they're afraid of is, you know, I know your typical house is uh, a move up house here in the Cincinnati area, so that would be you know a two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollar house, maybe. So anywhere really, for, I think you go from like one eighty up. Yeah. But but let's say it's a three hundred thousand dollar house right now. Market slows down, value drops ten percent. Mm. You had Aren't it under. You glad you did a lease option then. <laughs> well, you had it under contract. You said you like to get fifteen percent equity. So, so you actually have it under contract. We we would we yeah. would think for like two sixty or something. Yeah. But now the value is like two seventy, and mm-hmm. now the the buyer goes to get uh to get an appraisal from the bank to buy it and finds out it's not worth the three hundred they promised to pay, but is only worth the two seventy that it's gonna appraised yeah. for right now so so are you are you changing are you changing those spreads is what i'm asking uh yeah it depends you know it kind of depends on what i feel like the market's doing and, and first of all you, nobody can predict what's going to happen in the future i mean interest rates may go up to 20 percent in three years um the market may crash and <laughs> uh there's this, who's that guy oh never mind i don't, I don't want to get into politics that would be bad um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, something you just never know what's going to happen, which is why I love lease options so much, because I feel like for me as an investor, a lease option protects me so much more than actually going out and borrowing money on a house and being obligated on that house. Not that I walk away from deals, but I'm saying it's just an option. And I tell the tenant buyers, listen, if it's worth 300 today, and it's worth 270 in three years, you should be glad and happy that you only did a lease option on this thing. Because, yeah, if you don't buy it, you're going to lose the option deposit money you put down up front. But that's a whole lot better than going out if you would have gotten a mortgage and bought this house with a mortgage. Do you think the bank's going to want to give you your money back in three years if you decide you don't want the house anymore? So, but what I typically do, let's say it is three years later, and and I have more time, and the tenant buyer is out of time, I'll tell the tenant buyer, I, I, I extend it. I never kick the tenant buyer out of the house if the house doesn't appraise or if they can't get a mortgage, but they've been paying their rent on time. I always give them more time. And I may require an additional deposit. I may raise the rent, but I'm always going to give them more time. And uh, usually the seller understands because Obviously, they, they don't have any other options, right? They don't want to just be a, another landlord. Uh, they don't want to be a landlord. And, but so nine times out of ten, the seller is – they're bummed, but they'll, they'll extend it out. So, you know, if it's worth 300 a day, in three years it's worth 270 I'll just extend it out if I can negotiate with the seller until it does appraise again in the future for 300000 So that's kind of how my approach with it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <coughs> All right, Joe. Ooh, uh, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to answer some of these questions uh, that I got earlier today for you. We'll be back right after cool. this.
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Joe McCall, who's uh, an expert on lots of things, but his real estate strategy is uh, about, and has been for a number of years now, really about pretty properties, which is uh, something that, I don't know, I think I think there's more folks out there who are newish who would probably be comfortable in more comfortable in the pretty property market than they are in the ugly property market sometimes i've had students in the past who um you know they really gave it their all on wholesaling even made money on it but hated their lives because mm-hmm. they they had to go into <laughs> neighborhoods they didn't like yeah they had to smell things they didn't like to smell <laughs> to see things they didn't like to see and then they discovered they discovered this pretty house flipping thing and they got to go see houses in the neighborhood where they live. Yeah. And they, they, they got to go talk to people who were exactly like, you know, their neighbors. And so it was like, you know, the skies opened and the angels started singing and they, 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 they found their strategy with pretty houses. So mm-hmm. we're talking today about uh, just the kind of what, what the pretty house market is doing right now. And, we asked some questions, uh, or I asked for some questions uh, earlier today. The uh, Again, the program is pre-recorded, which is why I'm not giving out the phone number. But I had asked uh, folks who are signed up on our notification list if they had any questions. And I got several here. Uh, this one is from JC in Las Vegas. And Joe, I will just warn you that JC is a, he is a regular listener and he, uh-huh. he asks very sophisticated questions. <laughs> I think it's okay, almost. I think, I think it's. I think JC likes to play stump the guest. Oh. He said, "Would you please ask Joe whether he would consider sharing an equity upside with a seller, or will he not consider getting staying in a deal if he can't get all of all of that?" So, for the for the benefit of listeners, let me say that what JC is asking is. Let's say Joe does get a property under contract for two seventy, and then by the time he goes to sell it, five or six years later, it's worth three fifty. And the question is, will he consider sharing any of that huge eighty thousand dollar upside with the seller? Does the seller just get the the two seventy he agreed to? That's a great question, and it's all negotiable at the beginning. And if the seller is nervous about that, and there there's some there's some equity in it. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll offer to partner with the seller on the deal. And I'll say, you know what? I'll make a joke out of it. I want to make a lot of money on this deal, aren't I? They kind of nervously laugh. And I say, but Mr. Seller, what if maybe we should partner on this deal and I'll share some of the profits with you. Would that be fair? And their faces light up and say, that's awesome. That's great. And so it doesn't have to be 50, 50. You could say, and this could be on any deal that you negotiate under contract, you know. Um, you could say, all right, I'll just share 25% of my profits with you at the back end, you know, or um, we'll set the option price. Um, I'll, I'll give you 20% of whatever the back end equity is going to be. I mean, you can, it's totally flexible and you can negotiate any of that and put it into the contract. Um, Which doesn't now, mean you should offer to give it away up front. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. This will be for a situation where the seller is kind of nervous and hesitant and you feel like you're going to lose it. You know, you, you, the seller is going to say no. 
um, and maybe even after they say no, then you bring up, what if I share the profits with you? Um, the other cool thing about that, you know, which is cool, when you take that approach, and you could almost do that with any deal, every deal, you can offer to partner with the seller on it. You're going to get them much more open to working with you during this period, right? And because you're splitting the profits with them, guess what? They're probably going to be a little more likely to even lower their price even more to make it a more attractive deal. And, you know, if you're doing a lease option and it's a, this is a house that's out of state, um, you know, maybe the owner can help you with putting signs in the yard and showing the home and cleaning it and and uh, doing that kind of stuff. So uh, think about that. I know a guy um, who does a lot of deals from Australia who does this with every single deal he does. He does deals in Greece, England, Spain, and Texas. <laughs> He's a very interesting guy. All the foreign countries. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about him offline, Vina. He'd be a great uh, guy to have on your show. I would love to have him. But um, And he's hilarious. But he does that with every deal. Um, and he's able to negotiate bigger discounts and get their cooperation because he's not going to go to Spain to help show this house. So he gets the local owner there to partner with him on the deal. So And then the owner does that work for him. Nice. Nice. Okay. So uh, we also have a question here from Teal, who is from the Columbus area. She says, I'm considering selling a property on lease option. I need to determine if the candidate's a good one, get them set up with some sort of credit counseling program and have some other, this one's interesting, have some other organization or service or handle the collection of the payments. So my question for Joe, and she's actually got three of them, is how do you determine if a person or family would make a good candidate for your lease option program? Great, 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 great question. Very important question. It's really simple. I work with a mortgage broker who understands lease options and works with people who have challenged credit, and I rely on him or her. I don't want to be in the mortgage business. But what they do is they tell me, yeah, this person, if they do this and this, has realistic chance of getting a mortgage in one or two years. So I will only, number one, lease option of property to a tenant buyer who can afford the house. That's most important. Number two, they have a realistic chance of getting a mortgage in one or two years. There's some people out there that teach, I don't care if they can't buy the house. In fact, I hope they don't because then I can get someone else in there to collect another $5,000 option deposit and do it all over again. I, I'm not of that philosophy. I, I don't think that's right. You should only set up the seller and the buyer to win. And so I want somebody in that house who has a realistic chance of getting a mortgage and actually buying it. And uh, I, in fact, I have some friends that do a lot of lease options that they're looking for people who only have a realistic chance of getting a mortgage in 6 to 12 months, mm. and they pr- preferably 6. So if you have that mentality going into it, you're going to make sure that they don't have any ridiculous judgments out there for $500,000 that you know there's no way on earth they're ever going to get that taken care of. You want to make sure that, uh, you know, the their income is three times, three to four times the rent. You want to make sure that uh, once they bump their score up 50 points or something like that, they'll be able to get a good mortgage. Their debt to income will be good. So working with a good tenant screening company and a good mortgage broker is really, really important. And, and, and as far as the who collects the rent, I think you asked about escrow and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I use an escrow company. It's actually based out of Ohio mm. that does that for me. They, um, 
they collect the rent and pay the mortgage and send me the difference. Okay, and I'll get that name from you offline so that I can forward it to Teal since we're on public radio and we can't recommend uh, companies. But she had a, so you answered her first and third question, but her second one uh, has to do with whether you put these folks into any kind of program that will help them work toward making themselves financeable. Yes. Well, I, I leave that to the mortgage broker, right? So, um, the mortgage broker wants to get them financed. He has a pro, a company he works with to, for the credit repair stuff. You know, I, you and I, we've seen tons and tons of credit repair companies come and go. So, I, you know, it's it's hard to find a really good one that you know is going to stick around. Sometimes the best thing to do is, um, I, I put this in my lease before, um, go buy the book, Credit Repair for Dummies, and read it. <laughs> That's like... <laughs> That's my requirement in the lease. Just make them go get the book and go through credit repair for dummies or whatever those books are. And, uh, but you know, my mortgage broker works with them and, and, um, a good mortgage broker is going to, you know, maybe once a month have a phone call with the tenant buyer to see how things are going. Um, and usually the things to fix on the credit report are not that big of a deal. It's just a few letters. Maybe it's moving some uh, money around on some cards, paying some cards off maybe establishing a couple new lines of credit and some it's really usually just simple stuff like that that you don't have to have a good big huge credit repair company doing for you Okay, so um, yeah, good luck with that, Teal. I know that's uh, Teal's real Teal's a a rehabber, so I suspect this is her first attempt at a lease option. So good for you. Yeah, cool. Um, let's see here. That's a question about how to join Cincinnati RIA. That's actually super easy. Go to CincinnatiRIA.com and join Cincinnati yeah. RIA. Or come to come to one of the meetings because if you go to CincinnatiRIA.com, your first meeting is actually free. There's a, there's a guest pass and you can download it and take it to the meeting. And you can check it out and see how awesome it is. Let um, me say something, Vina. Yes. I've traveled around the country a lot and I've been to a lot of real estate clubs. You have one of the best-run organizations there. You have a fantastic RIA, and I don't think people maybe understand or appreciate because they've not been around and seen the others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, but, we, we, have a, we, have a, we have an exchange program where we send people out of our RIA to other RIAs around the country so they can see how good they have it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really. <laughs> well, you have a fantastic-run RIA group, so congratulations to you, and I hope everybody listening to this recognizes that and participates and plugs in. It's so important to be plugged into a good RIA. And, um, you know, every RIA has their own personality and stuff, but, like, it's important you get plugged into that and you network. I can't tell you how many deals I've done just by networking with other RIAs, people, investors in the RIA group, I mean. And uh, you become known as the lease option girl, you know, and then all of a sudden everybody else in that RIA, when they got a deal that might be a lease option, guess who they call? They call you. And that's why these RIAs are so critical and important, especially when you don't don't get us started on uh, government stuff, you know, like regulations. <laughs> yeah, that's a big, big part of what we do here at the local RIAs. Now, Joe, we need to take one last break, and we do have several other questions sitting cool. here in my email inbox. So uh, we will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. And I let me say, I'm really grateful to all the folks who did send in emails 
uh, today with questions for Joe because it's it's often the case that uh, when I've got a guest who is pre-recording with me that we don't we're not able to get to listener questions for obvious reasons but sent an email a little bit earlier and got I've got five six questions here so thank you guys for actually reading the emails that I send out yeah um, if you're not on the email list you can go to uh regoddess.com and there's a there's a little thing that just says want more goddess great marketing right one more goddess? oh my god and, yeah, i know i gotta i gotta i gotta i just haven't had time you know it's it, it, real estate business so coming up yeah yeah so um anyway if you fill, yeah so if you fill that out if you fill oh, that German. out then you get to uh you get to hear stuff like that there are guests that are not going to be live so um this question is from bill and I think we I think we sort of covered this, although not as directly as Bill is asking it. And, and he is in Dayton, Ohio, by the way. He says, why would a seller do a lease option on a pretty house? All they have to do is drop the price and everything sells. It's the ugly houses that require creative financing. I don't get it. Yeah. So 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 let's why don't why don't you talk about a couple of recent deals that you or I know I know you partner up a lot with people from around the country like the stories you've heard from the sellers about why they're doing it well let me just say this because I hear this a lot they can just stick a sign in the yard they can just sell it they can lower their price I just looked right now in Cincinnati on Redfin and this doesn't include the Kentucky side because it um, Redfin doesn't like Kentucky and it just shows the Cincinnati side Mm -hmm. that that is Kentucky south of you isn't it yeah Okay, anyway, um, there are four, uh, 600, and depending on how far you zoom out, oh, I take that back. Let me zoom back in. There are 670, no, oh, I take that back, 950 homes that have been on the market over 90 days in Cincinnati right now. And that's from Redfin. Should be pretty accurate, depending on how far you zoom out. 950 homes, how, these are houses that have been on the market over 90 days. So if the market is so hot, why are there still almost Mm -hmm. a 1,000 homes that have been on the market over three months? Mm -hmm. And we're at the peak of the busiest season of the the year, right? So um, I'm coming to the end of it. Well, and there's also, I don't have the staff in front of me, but I could go in and I bet you every day, I know at least in St. Louis, I see... Anywhere from you know twenty five to thirty fifty expired listings every day almost. So homes are expiring. People are not getting offers. And so um, again, it goes back to why would a seller do want to do a lease option? Why not just sell? Sometimes they can't. Right? Let's say they had a job transfer. They moved. They thought they could sell it. They put the market. They put it on the market in April. It hasn't sold yet. Or maybe they got some offers. They were too low. They didn't take them. They thought they could get a better offer. They haven't. Now, all of a sudden, it's been three months, and they've been making two mortgage payments. And they're starting to get a little scared. (laughs) They don't have much money left in their bank account that they thought they would cover that. And now they're thinking, oh, we're going to have to rent it out because we can't do this much longer. And then those are the people that would want to do a lease option because this is now the best of both worlds. They can rent it to somebody who wants to buy it. So they may not. You know they don't want. They're worried about being a long-distance landlord and having to deal with broken faucets and and leaky toilets and all of that stuff, and they're stressed out about that. But when you approach them and say, "Hey, maybe you could do a lease option on it," and uh, 
we'll get we'll take care of that stuff. Like, oh, well, that might be a good alternative. So it's not the best option, but it's the least worst uh-huh. option, right? Uh-huh. Well, and and, I, and, and I'm I'm one of those people as you're looking in Redfin that has had a property on the market for more than ninety days and. The reason in my case was we had an offer, and it the seller was supposedly pre-qualified. Mm-hmm. And then 33 days later, <laughs> we found oh. out that, quote, the financing had fallen through. So we put it back up on the market, and then the second, the second uh, buyer had an inspection done and didn't like the results of it after 17 days. And so it went back up on the market. So, you know, stuff happens. And, you know, I'm getting to the point with that property. It just went back on the market again today. And I do have tenants in that one. And I, I, while we are sitting here, I just got a text from the agent who's got it listed saying that your tenants are refusing all showings now. I'm like, oh, great. So now I've got another issue to deal with here. So, yeah, uh, Joe, if you want to lease option a kind of nasty property in a rental area, I'm I'm, I'm in, man. You can have it. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. They're case in point. You know, I mean, Vina's a smart investor, but she's busy. You know, she's got a lot on her plate right now. And she's been doing real estate for years. But there's this point where, like, you know what? I am so busy. I'm sick of this property. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And she gets a letter from Joe Blow, the investor. And she's like, oh, this is interesting. And I don't have to sell my – Joe's not going to come in and offer me 60 cents on the dollar. Hmm. And he's going to lease option it to me and and, uh, give me a good fair price. And he's going to take care of all the maintenance and repairs. And he's going to guarantee the rents whether the house is vacant or not. I don't have to worry about all that stuff anymore. Uh, Interesting. I might be open to that. Let's talk about it some more. And uh, that's how it works, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. And one last question here, and this one is from Darren in Atlanta. Uh, he says, can you ask Joe about the relative motivation levels of sellers who have equity versus those who don't in the market today? And what I'm asking is, is there any particular kind of seller I should be focusing my marketing energy on and why? Great question. I need to remember to talk about all this when I'm there at Oria, because these are really good questions, and I know everybody else that's going to be there at this event is going to be asking these or thinking these questions. Um, so here's the thing. I, I, what kind of sellers should you target? Um, there's lots of different marketing you can do. You know, if you look at, if you grouped all of the sellers in a whole, you've got landlords and you have owner-occupants, right, pretty much. And as a group of sellers, the most likely to be motivated seller is the landlord, the absentee owner, right? For lots of reasons, but they're the most likely to be motivated. And so what I like to do is I like to target the zip codes that have the nice homes in them. So I'm, I don't send marketing to the $40,000, $50,000 rental neighborhoods. I send marketing to the median price, blue collar, good school district neighborhoods. Okay. And, uh, I'm going to send them marketing and, and I prefer the first thing I'll do is I'll send marketing to the absentee owners because they might be a tired landlord. Um, and there's different types of marketing that we do to those folks. So I, I, I don't, uh, spray and pray my marketing. I'm very focused on my, my marketing. So I, I target sellers uh, that are absentee owners, Maybe they bought their house. You know, another great list that you could target if you're doing direct mail. 
Every, they, they say in sellers, it used to move on average of every three years when the market was screaming hot back in 05. Now it's more, it's more like every five to seven years sellers are selling. So what if you targeted homeowners in, in your target zip codes that bought a house with FHA or VA financing five to seven years ago in your target zip code? That's a really, really easy list to get. And chances are you might find somebody out of that uh, list that would, might want to sell but can't or had a job loss, job transfer, divorce, just life just happened and they don't have much equity. So there's, I don't know if that answers the question, Vina. Um, no, I think, I, I, I think it does. Cause his, his question was about uh, really sort of um, targeting within, I think within the bigger lists, like people with more equity, people with less equity. Uh-huh. So uh, good. Yeah. So we are unfortunately out of time joe but uh I, I do want to invite listeners to go to wmkbfm.org and see if there are any discounted seats to the national real estate strategy summit left from the fund drive last week uh if so definitely grab one you can see joe and 14 other awesome speakers on this kind of like up to the minute changing all the time topic and we would love to see you there We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.